Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, Disney Plus hits another Star Wars home run with its Lego holiday special. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. I've finally gotten around to seeing just how marvelous Mrs. Maisel is. Plus... It's one of the greatest rivalries in history. They've been trying to destroy each other for eight decades. And next year, we'll see them try again on the big screen. The first trailer arrived this week for Tom and Jerry. It's all coming up on The Couch Potatoes. The holiday season is officially underway thanks to Star Wars. This week saw the release of the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special on Disney+. Twas the night before Life Day in a galaxy far, far away. Looking good. Tree, food, decorations. Coming together heroes were to celebrate the day. Please be a cape. Please be a cape. It's a wrap! For Rey, adventure called, and she thought it would be fast. Wow. But there she found a key to the galaxy's past. Sorry, sorry. Oh, oh. what are you doing? The reference to Life Day at the beginning of that clip comes from the live-action Star Wars holiday special from way back in 1978. That was famously terrible. You can still find it on YouTube if you're a glutton for punishment. In this new Lego special, Ray finds a magic key that lets her visit all the different timelines and storylines in the Star Wars world. As she tries to learn how to become a Jedi Master, so she can train her new Padawan, Finn. Ray slides through a series of portals, landing in scenes from all the other movies, trying to learn from various Jedi Masters along the way, like Yoda, Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Luke Skywalker, and so on. Unfortunately, she also comes across Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine, who want to steal the portal device. Meanwhile, Finn, Poe, Rose, Chewbacca, and the rest of the gang try to throw a Life Day party aboard the Millennium Falcon over on Chewie's planet. A time of joy. This is Ray! a friendship, a family. Where are you guys? Master Skywalker. My son. I mean, my. These binary sons. Unta, unta, solos? You want to shoot first? After you. Well, Brett, what did you think of the Star Wars Lego Holiday Special? I loved it so much. For... This was my first Lego movie anything. I have not seen any of the Lego movies. I haven't seen any Lego specials beyond trailers or little short animated things. So this is my first full-blown Lego experience. And what a treat and what a loving celebration, parody, send-up of Star Wars. The, the, the number of characters they managed to cram into this thing by revisiting every chapter of this Skywalker saga was pretty incredible to the, to be able to do that in 45 minutes the playful nods that they they made throughout the the shots that they took at the various movies like when they first visited the Phantom Menace I loved how it was Obi-Wan Kenobi young Obi-Wan Kenobi banging his head on the table saying oh a trade dispute this is so boring and yes. and Ray just exits <laughs> just walks out of the scene because they're right it was boring and when they made fun of adam driver aka kylo ren with his shirt off not making fun of kylo ren or adam driver himself but that was just kind of an awkward scene like could you just put a shirt on i loved how they did that i thought the uh, the animation was just incredible and it was so 
well done in terms of the way they would recreate certain scenes from the Star Wars saga. Like when they drop into the Dagobah system while Luke is training with Yoda from The Empire Strikes Back, the scene where Luke is trying to pull, use the force to pull his X-Wing out of the swamp, this Lego movie recreated even the, the lighting and the shading. It was so perfectly done. And then when they took what appears to be actual visual effects shots from Star Wars movies, like the shot, there's a scene where the, the Rebel Alliance is arriving at the Death Star in A New Hope. It looks like they pulled that scene right out of that movie, but then added Lego pieces to to the, the, the X-Wings, and they added Lego pieces to the Death Star trench. Um, just incredible. It was so much fun. The Darth Vader stuff, where he fights himself, and he, where he says, impressive, and the other one says, most impressive. I loved that. I loved when there were three Obi-Wan Kenobis on the screen at one time, and they all say, well, hello there, in unison. Uh, I, I guess I'm giving stuff away here. I, I probably shouldn't be. These aren't spoilers in terms of the story, but uh, I, I just loved it, man. I loved it. I could go on about this for an hour. Yeah, I really liked how it was, uh, like you said, I was making fun of itself at times. Like there was one part where somebody says, oh, this is the worst thing that's happened since uh, Jar Jar Binks made the speech in front of the Senate or something like that. Uh, you know, because the world of Star Wars usually take itself a little too seriously for my liking. So that was really nice. And, you know, Star Wars fans, of course, take it way too seriously a lot of the time. So I was also glad that this had a, you know, who cares? We're just having fun vibe to it. And there were a few times where I thought, you know, oh, the very anal fans would be irritated by what just happened here. And that just made me enjoy this more. Uh, I think the one person who would really not enjoy this story maybe is uh, Doc Brown from Back to the Future because there are an awful lot of what he would consider uh, paradoxes in the space-time continuum. Like you said, three Obi-Wan Kenobis, they, they shouldn't be talking to each other. Yeah, I did. I also like, we heard in the first clip there, um, old Han Solo and young Han Solo the, they both sounded like Harrison Ford, but one actually sounded older. Yeah, so that was that was cool how they did that. And I mean, with those voices, it was it's too bad they didn't they couldn't get more real cast members on board. I I assume it was a money thing. I don't know. God knows the actors would have had plenty of time this year to record their parts if they wanted to. But I think just a small handful, C three PO and Rose were among the actual actors voicing their parts. And like you said, it's about 45 minutes. That's the perfect amount of time. Long enough to, you know, feel special, but not too long to require a lot of padding or wear out its welcome. The Life Day party planning stuff was kind of weak compared to the rest of it, but I mean, the other stuff was really scratching the Star Wars nerd in us, so that was kind of... It, it would just never live up to going into the real scenes from the movies kind of thing. And I was also pleasantly surprised to see that you know, there are a bunch of other Lego Star Wars adventures. I didn't really know that that was a thing with Star Wars. Uh, a lot of them are short at five or six minutes, but I'll have to maybe scroll back through those one day and see what else they got. And agreed. It's too bad they couldn't get more of the, the full cast. I know uh, Billy D. Williams contributed his voice for the yeah. one or two lines that Lando Calrissian had. Uh, but that's it. Yeah, Kelly Marie Tran showed up to do Rose. But uh, what was Poe... What was his uh, actor? What was his the real actor's name? Was it Oscar? Oh, Oscar Isaac. Yeah, yeah. So it, the guy who who played him in this did a, a pretty nice job of uh, oh, yeah. impersonating him, and especially how he kept crying. <laughs> I love that. He's just so because <laughs> Poe was such an emotional character. He was always at, on the verge of tears in those three movies. So they did a really nice send up. 
of that. But yeah, this was just a uh, full-on, full blast. I hope that this becomes a holiday classic. I think this will be... But it, the, the cool thing about it is that it's not, not something that you have to wait until November or December to watch. Like You can watch this at any time of the year and have a good time. So... Oh, absolutely. I mean, life day on the calendar, we don't even really know when it comes. So it could be anytime. That's very true. That's very true. So that's available now on Disney Plus. And still on the subject of cartoons, I got super, super excited this week thanks to the debut of the first trailer for a movie scheduled for release next year. After a lifetime of being the world's most famous enemies. You can't count on me like one, two, three. I'll Tom and Jerry dead. are about to start over. Cause that's what friends are supposed to do. Oh, yeah. In the big city. And on the big screen, Tom and Jerry. Tom Cat and Jerry Mouse. Here's a, as it's written by CNN. Tom and Jerry have been trying to kill each other for 80 years, and now they'll continue that tradition in a new movie scheduled for release in theaters in 2021. The violently antagonistic cat and mouse will star in a hybrid live-action and animated film that sees the two square off in an upscale New York hotel. For the trailer, conniving mouse Jerry has taken up residence in the molding and eager-to-please employee Chloe Grace Moretz is charged with evicting him. Tom arrives to help terrorize the mouse out of this house, but as anyone who's seen any iteration of Tom and Jerry knows... The cat rarely wins. In the trailer alone, Tom pinballs between two cars, is cartoonishly electrocuted, and is thrown in front of a bus by his tiny tormentor. Michael Pena, Colin Jost, and Ken Jeong co-star with the Hanna-Barbera characters, and cartoon violence ensues. The film is scheduled for a March theatrical release. Jeff, I don't know about you, but I have always loved Tom and Jerry, especially since when I was a kid, I would watch their cartoons mercilessly. I loved them. Absolutely. Uh, Tom and Jerry, they were uh, like a top five for me, along with Scooby-Doo, the Flintstones, and uh, like Looney Tunes or whatever. And I was thinking like, Tom, is Tom the cartoon that's taken the most abuse of any <laughs> cartoon? It's either got to be Tom or Wiley e. Coyote. Every time those guys get exploded like 15 times in 15 minutes, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and that's why it's fun. Oh, and this uh, this clip from the trailer was also fun with Michael Pena talking about social media. If a picture of this mouse is tweeted out to Instabook Face or TikTok, we will be ruined. No, sir, that's not going to happen. That rodent is toast. Instabook Face or TikTok. That's awesome. So that's coming out hopefully in March. Yeah. But as we've seen, it's all tentative when it comes to release dates. And up next, we finally have a finalized date for one of the biggest movies of the year. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. At long last, we have a firm release date for one of the biggest movies of the year. Wonder Woman 1984. Look like you saw It's like now one day has passed. I don't want to be like anyone. I want to be an apex predator. You've always had everything, while people like me have had nothing. 
Well, now it's my turn. Get used to it. Warner Brothers announced that Wonder Woman 1984 will open in theaters and debut on HBO Max in the United States on December 25th. What does that mean for Canada? Well, the viewing options won't be so revolutionary. A representative for Warner Brothers says the DC Comics adventure will take the more traditional big screen route here, opening exclusively in markets across Canada where cinemas have not been closed due to local COVID-19 measures. It's a decision that has angered a lot of comic book fans who have hung their hopes on a Canadian streaming platform stepping in to acquire the rights at a time when people are being encouraged to stay at home, but the negotiations behind such a pact are complicated and can be costly. The U.S. home of the film is HBO Max, which is a streaming platform that's under the same corporate umbrella as Warner and the telecommunications giant AT&T, In Canada, HBO Max does not operate as a streaming service, even though some of its higher-profile TV shows are licensed to the Crave platform. That left Warner Brothers to determine how to distribute the film outside the U.S., and the company says it just went the theatrical route, so it's going to start opening in international markets on December 16th. Now, director Patty Jenkins tweeted, quote, The time has come. At some point, you have to choose to give over everything else. We love our movie as we love our fans. So we truly hope that our film brings a little bit of joy and reprieve to all of you this holiday season. She encouraged eager audience members to watch the film in theaters where it is made safe to do so. Alternatively, the film will be available in the safety of your home on HBO Max. Now, for HBO Max subscribers, it's a pretty sweet deal because the movie's going to be made available for no additional cost, unlike Disney's Mulan, where Disney Plus subscribers had to shell out some extra cash to see that movie. What was it, like 30 bucks, Jeff? Uh, yeah, twenty nine ninety nine, I think. Oh, wow. But HBO Max subscribers will only have it for a month. Then it's going to stay exclusively in theaters before eventually going through traditional, you know, digital rental channels, etc. Hopefully something changes for Canadians, but likely just on the big screen. The way I fly, they will never find us. I forgot to tell you. What? Radar. Will they, will they shoot at us? Jeff, what do you think? Are movie theaters ever going to recover? I, I wonder a lot about that now, and especially if uh, HBO Max isn't charging to get it. If, and if they can, you know, start having a thing where they could have a movie that you would watch, something big like a Wonder Woman, like even once a month, that's enough reason to shell out the whatever power $10 a month or whatever it is to get HBO Max if you can think you can get a major motion picture out of it once a month. And I think, you know, between that and between, you know, Disney's Mulan, like you mentioned, a lot of these places are trying different things. And I think that's good. At least if they're all trying different stuff, they can find out for themselves what's going to, you know, make them the most money and make no mistake, whatever makes them the most money is what's going to happen. If they don't get a big bump in HBO Max subscriptions out of this, uh, then they might, you know, still want to push for theatrical releases in the future just because they, they know how, you know, they know how to monetize that. They know what to expect and all that sort of thing. So it's obviously, you know, unclear the future right now, but I I think it's a good sign in general that different companies are now trying different stuff like this. It almost feels like 
you know, Warner Brothers is just saying we are going to write off Wonder Woman and just throw it out there just to see what happens. The experiment with it will be the big draw for us, not the money so much this time around, because, you know, the, it's been months and months without a big motion picture coming out, except for Tenet and like uh, Disney's Milan over on Disney Plus. So I, I think it'll all fall together somehow in the end. Hopefully it's, it's, it's that weird thing because like you and I, you know, we live by ourselves. So I don't want to pay $30 for every movie I want to watch. Now, when it's a family movie like Mulan and my girlfriend and her four kids come over, then $30 is a steal. So there's some of that that has to be taken into consideration. And I mean, there's other stuff too, like uh, with Fast and the Furious, my buddy Joel and I, we go to all those movies together. So if that comes out on a home viewing situation, I just invite him over to watch it and make him pay half the price. And then it sort of evens out. But for, I'm like, I go to a lot of movies by myself, so I don't want to pay $30 for every single thing I have to watch going forward. But time will tell. Wonder Woman 84 coming to theaters and HBO Max, hopefully another option for Canada, but likely just the big screen. Up next, details on a massive reunion that did drop on Crave this week. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Wonder Woman 84, we just talked about the fact that it is going to debut in theaters and HBO Max but it's not going to debut in Canada on Crave. But here's something that debuted on HBO Max this week that is available on Crave. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. It's the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunion. Recorded on the 30th anniversary of the show, the Banks family is back together. Will Smith, Tatiana Ali, Karen Parsons, Joseph Marcel, Daphne Maxwell-Reed, Alfonso Ribeiro, and DJ Jazzy Jeff got together for a funny and heartfelt night full of music and dancing in honor of the show that ran for six seasons in 148 episodes. And looking at the trailer, looks like they had a fun reunion. Tape night was special. It was just kind of like a Friday night party. We'd each grab percussion instruments. It was a full-on experience. Yeah, yeah, all right, we're about to go on stage. The audience is out there. It was the hottest ticket in town, as they called it. But it also gets emotional. James is the heart of the show. James Avery was this six foot four Shakespearean beast. And I wanted him to think I was good. How come you don't want me, man? I fall into his arms at the end of the scene and he's holding me and the shot pans off and he whispered in my ear, now that's acting. And Smith had a big surprise for the rest of the cast. I couldn't celebrate 30 years of Fresh Prince without Janet. Smith sat down with Janet Hubert, who originated the role of Aunt Viv for the first time in 27 years for an emotional reunion and a candid conversation. So this special runs uh, about an hour 15, was looking at my Crave app. I haven't seen the show yet, uh, but I think I'll watch this eventually because The Fresh Prince was a huge part of my life. And you can't tell me that uh, once you hear that theme song, you don't start rapping those lyrics, Jeff. Oh man, when I was, my girlfriend and I were driving around in her van and the kids were in the car and they were singing some nonsense song. And then I just like, 
I just like took the iPhone and I went to the YouTube app and I typed in Fresh Prince theme song and my girlfriend and I just rapped it at them and they were like, what are you people doing? And I was like, oh, that's how, that's real music. That's real rap. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's, it is one of the five best theme songs of all time. It really is. It's yeah. underrated. It's a great theme song. It was a great show. And yeah. that, that scene that uh, we just played where James Avery reached in and said to Will Smith, now that's acting. This uh, was the show where Will Smith showed the world that he wasn't just a rapper. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but he showed the world that he is a superior talent. He can do, you know, he can rap, he can dance, he can act. Uh, he's just sort of this, he's got this natural uh, electric charisma that really shone through and he elevated that entire cast i think like it was just such a landmark show i don't know a single person my age uh, or anybody like 10 year within 10 15 years yeah. younger or older who didn't watch that and it and my parents watched it and loved it with me so um the, the fact that they were able to get together and have this reunion i think is is pretty cool and i think it's really cool that he sat down with with janet hubert i never liked the the new aunt viv uh, she was so sassy. Uh, she, I think, was um, outside of Will Smith. I think she may have been my favorite on that show, just because she was a uh, such a she had great energy, and the the new Aunt Viv just kind of felt like she was sort of slunk in the background. I don't know. I enjoyed the dry wit of uh, Jeffrey the Butler the most, and I also liked whenever uh, Uncle Phil would. Uh, throw DJ Jazzy Jeff out the front. That was, that was my favorite. I laughed every single time at that. It's so stupid. Yeah. Jeffrey. And of course the Carlton dance, the Carlton dance is, uh, I wish, I wish I could, I can't even mimic it. Cause if I could do that, I would do that anytime dancing was called for. Really? I can sort of oh, do yeah. it. I think oh, I, I lucky. think I can sort of do it, but I'd have to, it's been a few years since I did it, but yeah, Jeffrey's outstanding. I love when he, the, the, the classic Jeffrey moment, I think was when he's playing that, uh, that poet, and then he he reads the poem that who wrote the poem was it Will or was it Jazz who wrote the poets the poetry I don't, I don't recall but he I was reading remember, he yeah. was reading poems written by someone else and people were clapping for him so then he broke into his old stuff where he's like cannon to the left of them cannon <laughs> right. to the right of them the charge of the white brigade I think it was and then he outed himself as a phony. So, yeah, there's so many great memories from that show. So I look forward to watching the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunion on Crave. By the way, I got to ask you, before we move on to the marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Prime, mm -hmm. you mentioned that 30 bucks for a movie for yourself is a lot of money, but when yeah. your girlfriend and the kids come over, then it's a steal. Do you make the kids chip in? <laughs> No, you just feel like you're getting your money's worth. It's like, oh, this only cost me $30 and not $90. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah, I just yeah. I imagine Jeff collecting tickets at the front door. All right, kids, 10 bucks each. Take off your shoes. Yep, cough <laughs> it up, or you can wait in the car. I, 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 I don't put myself above doing something like that either. <laughs> you're a teenager now. You're making money. You got a part-time job. Cough it, it up. Pot, man. That's right. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, all so right. you've been watching something on Prime. Yeah, I finally got around to cracking the show I've been wanting to watch for a couple of years now. Of, like you said, Prime Videos, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Fifteen years I've been working in clubs, okay? Twice have I seen someone deliver the goods. What are you talking about? I'm talking about your act. I am a mother. I don't have an act. 
when you will when we're done. Hi, everybody. I heard some uptown chick got arrested doing a set. What's the crime? Simulating a sex act while on stage. That's bullshit. Mrs. Mason. She's gonna do what with the life? <sighs> Sit around all day long eating bonbons. Is that what you want for her? Of course not. That's what's gonna happen. It's not. It's get, out. get out of here. This comedy thing, it has to work. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel popped up in 2017 and started winning all the awards while most of us were left asking, what is that show? I've never heard of it before. It's been an award show nominee staple ever since, although it's lost out to a couple of couch potato favorites the last couple of years in shows like Fleabag and Shit's Creek. It's been on three seasons, eight to ten episodes each season, and most episodes run close to an hour long. That surprised me at first when I started watching this week, Brett. I was expecting this to be a half hour long show because it is a comedy. But by the time I finished the third episode, I was glad they were longer because I was just really enjoying the show. The Marvelous, Mrs. Maisel, or the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is created by Amy Sherman Palladino, who created Gilmore Girls. So, you know, in that going in, you can get ready for some dialogue heavy, fast talking scenes. It's, you know, her and Aaron Sorkin are the ones that specialize in that, and Mrs. Maisel has a lot of it. It's set in the late 50s in New York City. Midge Maisel, played by Rachel Brosnahan, is an upper-class housewife while her husband, Joel, works some office job and is also an aspiring comedian. They have a large, gorgeous apartment in a fairly ritzy part of New York City by the looks of it, and her parents, played by Marin Hinkle and Tony Shalhoub, have an apartment in the same building. Joel's dad is played by Kevin Pollock. Uh, he's a clothes manufacturer. I love that guy. I was thrilled to realize he was in this show. And Joel is a terrible comedian. He mostly steals Bob Newhart's act, something he says is common practice for comedians, which Midge isn't really sure of. Nor is Susie, the brash lady who works at the comedy club and shakes her head at Joel when he's on stage. She gets to know Midge a bit, as Midge always tries to bribe her and the club's owner with good home cooking to get Joel a better time slot. But then she really grabs Susie's attention when she gets drunk one night, wanders onto the stage, and improvs a stand-up comedy set that has everyone rolling in the aisles. The next thing you know, Susie's inserted herself as Midge's manager, and Midge decides to give it a go as some other aspects of her life start falling apart. Her comedy is so far comprised of, you know, ranting about the painful things in her life, and it's actually really good. She's a natural because, well, I mean... Could you get on stage and just go off and have a bunch of killer material spill out of you without any preparation? Somehow she does it. And the show does a good job of setting that up offstage. You know, they show that Midge is a funny lady naturally in her everyday life. She's making observations here and there. And she just has this energy that, that makes you buy it all. Which brings us to the highlight of the series so far that was that central performance by Rachel Brosnahan. Uh, I've not seen her in anything else that I recall. And I won't forget Mrs. Maisel anytime soon. I know that. She's a commanding screen presence that I find captivating. She's somehow both very focused and also all over the place. When she knows what she wants, she goes for it hard and she's simply not afraid to speak her mind about anything to anyone. Now, some of that comes out in a court of law as she is arrested twice in the first three episodes for salty language and a few other discretions from the stage. There were decency rules back in the 50s and her being a woman only made her more of a target. There's quite a bit of good stuff in there about being a woman in comedy and any woman in comedy now would still tell you horror stories, I'm sure. The 1950s of it all, of course, only makes things worse for Mrs. Maisel being a woman. Weirdly enough, she finds a kindred spirit in Lenny Bruce, a legendary real-life New York comedian who was a huge deal at the time. Uh, they have a lot in common. They keep bumping into each other and they become fast friends. I gotta say, I wasn't expecting that at all, and it made me smile a lot. I love when 
fictional stories incorporate real world characters like this. The rest of the cast is pretty great in the early going as well, especially Alex Borstein as Susie. She's always hilarious. Um, she always has been since I think I first noticed her back on Mad TV. She was funny in that. And of course, I mentioned Tony Shalhoub's in it. We expect greatness from him, whatever he's in. And in the third episode of this, we he starts showing you know another layer than the initial crusty old professor that we first meet. So that's where I'm at with it so far. Three episodes down, 24 to go. I can't wait to see how it all plays out. The laughs were really starting to come hard by episode three. It's an ambitious show that sort of takes you an episode or two to get used to its rhythms and get the lay of the land, but they're off now and I'm excited for the rest. Production on season four, by the way, I looked that up. It's expected to begin in January. Usually their seasons air in December or start airing in December, but that obviously won't be the case this year. They hadn't got around to shooting it before the pandemic, so they're going to start up again in January. Up next, we're going to tell you about a Christmas movie that Jeff has long wanted to watch and finally got to this week. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. I have several viewing projects on the go. Having a mission helps me waste less time choosing what to watch, which is a real problem for me. And one of my projects over the next five weeks will be to watch some Christmas movies that I've never seen before. Obviously, you know, it won't include the big ones, which we'll cover in our Christmas special over uh, Christmas holidays. You can catch that, I'm sure. But some of the less classic ones I want to check out. For example, this week I watched 2008's Four Christmases, starring Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon. Every year, Brad and Kate spend the holidays avoiding their families. No flights are coming in and no flights are going out. This isn't happening. Do you have a sister airline? No, I'm sorry. I've got a cousin airline. No, we don't. But this year... Where are you headed for the holidays? They'll be forced to celebrate... Hi, Mom. It's my dad. They just saw us on the news. With all of them... Okay, he's going to give you a big hug when he sees you, Mom. I'm not hugging anybody. He's very excited about the hug. Now, Four Christmases is a very dumb movie, Brett, but I laughed a lot. The movie is its a little beneath Reese Witherspoon, I think. I never re really got over thinking it was weird that she was in it. The premise is ludicrous. A lot of the jokes, though, were silly and made me laugh. So they play this couple who've been together for three years. They live together in San Francisco. They're not married, though. Every Christmas, they tell their families they're doing missionary work or something, but they're actually just taking a <laughs> tropical vacation. And so they skip Christmas with their families. This year, however, as we heard in the clip their trip is scuttled at the last minute and they end up having to spend christmas with their families both their parents sets of parents are divorced so they have to go to four christmases in one day first of all why wouldn't these families spread it out over two days i think most people i know who have two or more christmases to go to tend to spread them out over a couple of days in order to accommodate more people so that's dumb right there but it has to fit the structure of the movie secondly and this is even dumber they all live close enough to San Francisco that Vince and Reese can drive to all their houses, yet neither of them has met the other's family. <laughs> that is ludicrous. It's been three years that they've been together. Even if they skip Christmas every year, how do you not see your folks who live nearby at some point in that time? How do you not introduce them to your significant other that you live with? <laughs> it's ludicrous. And there's no real good reason for it that they couldn't have, you know, worked around by making it more realistic. I, that was just bananas. The whole movie, I was just like, I, I was like, am I missing something? Like, this is, makes no sense in any sort of real-world scenario. Now, despite those objections, 
I did think it was a funny movie a lot of the time. It's prime Vince Vaughn doing his Vince Vaughn comedy thing that everyone knows. And if you like it, you really like it. And if you don't, you wouldn't watch this movie. The supporting cast was also impressive. John Favreau plays one of his brothers, which I appreciated as, of course, they're real-life buds who got famous together with the movie Swingers. The parents are played by Robert Duvall, Sissy Spacek, Mary Steenburgen, and John Voight. It's weirdly perfect casting. They're all pretty funny. Well, Voight's not terribly funny, but the rest of them are. And there's a a reveal involving Sissy Spacek's boyfriend at that chunk of the movie that uh, is kind of amazing. I really couldn't believe they did that. It was it was just perfect. So yeah, it's like four little movies and Vaughn and Witherspoon learn about life and love and Christmas with, uh, you know, poop jokes and stuff. Bad storytelling, but still fun enough to be worthwhile. Hardly a Christmas classic, though. Uh, three, barely. Couch cushions out of five for four Christmases, Brett. Nice. Yeah, I watched this movie. I can't remember when I saw it. It's been several years, but uh, I remember thinking a four Christmases in one day Oof. would be exhausting because I know people who often talk about having to go to three Christmas dinners. I used to find just going to two was was kind of a lot because when I was uh, 10 years ago, I had a girlfriend who we would go to my parents yeah. on Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day, we would go to her parents. And while it was wonderful, I mean, you're, you eat these giant meals and you get to spend time with loved ones. Presents. It's a lot. Presents, yes. Presents, it, it's a lot. So to do four <laughs> in a day would just be mind-boggling. And now, had you met these people before Christmas Eve? Yes. Or was that suddenly sprung as a surprise on you? Oh, I've never met you before, even though you're a 20 minute drive from me. <laughs> no, I had met them plenty of times. I knew them very well. So <laughs> again, you're right. It fits the it fits the premise, the silly premise of the movie. That's probably why it has 25 percent on Rotten Tomatoes because it is a <laughs> dumb movie. But you're right. It's hard not to like something with Vince Vaughn unless it's uh, season two of True Detective. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett, he's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Next week, I guess I got to touch base on the series finale of Supernatural. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.